everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Academica Vertex. With me today, I have my co-host Aditya and our guest Ross, also known as FPL Rafter on Twitter. How are you doing, mate? Hi, hey, mate. Yep, good. Great to be back. Um, obviously, love coming onto this podcast and chatting with you guys, so do it every chance I get, but I'm all good, thank you. Aditya, how are you, mate? I'm fine, Chris. Uh, it's good to be back for the next, the second episode for this season. And it's nice to have Ross on board again. He was there with us, I think, for two episodes last season. And I think your book is being launched tomorrow, right? So it's going to be very exciting for me to read it here. Yeah, yeah, the full launch is tomorrow. We've been live with sort of pre-order for a couple of weeks just to sort of gauge interest and let people know that it's there. And then we'll go, yeah, fully live tomorrow. So if you're buying the ebook, it will be delivered straight to your device. And if you're buying the hard copy, then it will be delivered in like within a day or two to, to your address. So that's really cool. Right now we have a semi-celebrity with us in the Twitter space, if you could want to put it that way, right? Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting the book for us. And uh, since we're on this topic, uh, I think we, we might have to discuss about it. And so how did you come up with the whole idea of the book? And, you know, how was it, uh, you know, being in the process of, you know, writing it down, you know, making the, the copies and, uh, you know, putting your thoughts down on paper? Yeah, so it was. Um, I'm a bit of a, I suppose, a nerd uh, throughout, like throughout secondary school and even primary school. I've always been very interested in academia and and learning and writing, and I've always had the dream of writing a book. And I always knew that that would be sort of on my bucket list, one of my sort of long term goals. And I always wanted to write one. I thought it would probably be fiction, some sort of storytelling. But as I started to write articles for FPL Connect about the psychological aspects of FPL. A lot of people were very interested in it and I kept getting a lot of DMs about have you got an article on this and can you point me to the direction where you discuss this and have you discussed this at any point and it ended up that I was just constantly linking different articles and writing new ones and trying to write new threads and I thought it would be absolutely amazing not just for me to write a book but for everyone to be able to refer to one place if they have any questions about the psychology of FPL. So I embarked on the journey of trying to get sort of a, a psychology bible where everything that I've learned across my seven, eight years of, of studying psychology is put into one place. So that was the concept behind it. I started it about 12, 13 months ago. It was a really long slog. Uh, a lot of time spent writing at two, three in the morning, um, out of hours around my, around my PhD, around my job. It was, it was really difficult to sort of get it all in. There were some points when it was a struggle, but the whole journey was amazing. And yeah, that's, that's finished now. So I'm really happy. Uh, that's a really long time, actually. Uh, you know, when you think about it, it really requires lots of commitment, you know, you know, lots of work. I mean, did you find yourself, you know, maybe thinking about, is this worth it maybe? Were you like fully committed to the purpose? And, you know, how, how did you feel like through this uh, long journey of, you know, creating yeah, yeah, this Yeah, good question. Um, so I'm obviously not in this for the money. I don't make a lot of money per copy. Um, and I, I'm not going to sell millions of this copy because it's such a niche area. So... I think anyone that's writing a book, the first thing I would say is make sure you're writing it for the right reasons. Don't try and write it for, to make money. Don't try and write it for fame. Write it because you're interested in the topic or because you've got the dream of producing your own book. So I never thought that it wouldn't be worth it, but there were some times. I think the start is very easy. The first time where you open a new Word document or a Google Doc sheet and you say, right, this is, I'm going to sit down and write my book. It's, it's very easy to do that. that those yeah. first couple of weeks, you can sort of get maybe 10, 15,000 words on paper pretty quickly. 
And towards the end, when you can see it coming together, when you're just doing a few proofreads, that's also easy. But it's that middle slog where you've got to get that next sort of 30, 40,000 words and you've already got the main bulk of what you want to say on paper. Um, that was when I struggled and that, that period probably took me like six, seven months. Um, but yeah, it was definitely worth it. Um, I would just say make sure that you're, if you're going to write a book about FPL, about anything, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and that you're motivated just because you want to be a writer and you want to produce a book. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds really fascinating to me. And I think... Uh, I, can, I can feel, I can actually, you know, uh, feel the, the emotion of, you know, I've always re- wanted to write a book too. Uh, sometimes, you know, it just pops up in my head and, you know, the start is always, you know, you're excited and all, and then you realize it has to be a whole book. And, uh, you know, I really admire your commitment to this. And, you know, it, you have to be really passionate about something to actually put so much effort into it. And I think that's amazing. Uh, and what you did is really, really great. Uh, so, I, now... Uh, I mean, I think everyone has read articles about psychology, you know, I think uh, we all, you know, came across multiple, you know, uh, theories and, you know, some uh, amazing, you know, uh, psychological facts about FPL. So how do you think uh, this book could benefit FPL managers? You know, what, what was your aim and what did you want to really get out to the crowd? Yeah, good question. So I think firstly, the, the, the point behind the book and the point behind cognitive psychology and behavioral economics is that we are not perfect as human beings. And prior to this sort of surge in research in the sort of 80s and 90s, we had this perspective that human beings always performed optimally. We always made the correct decisions and that we were like these perfect robots. But there was a lot of research by Kahneman and Tversky in sort of the 70s and 80s that said, hey, we're not perfect. We make regular mistakes. We are biased human beings. And that's sort of the concept behind the book in that In FPL, if we acknowledge that we make these mistakes and we have an awareness of it and we try our best to get around that, then that might lead to more optimal decision making in FPL. But also, Mark Southerns posted it on Twitter and it was was the perfect response to the podcast that I did with Who Got the Assist. We can't expect ourselves to just be perfect human beings because the very nature of the book and the podcast and what I'm discussing is that we aren't perfect. So I'm not expecting anyone to read the book and all of a sudden make perfect decisions in FPL and everyone to get top 1K. The hope is that it gives you the tools to understand why perhaps sometimes your decision making might be biased and why sometimes, even if we're the best FPL managers in the world and we have a full knowledge of football, why sometimes we continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. So there's, it's the great, it's the proverb, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a night or an evening. If you give a man, if you teach a man to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. And that's the concept behind this is whilst the threads where you say this is who you should captain in game week five are very, very useful because they give you some stats and things like that. I want to try and give people the tools and the knowledge to be able to make those decisions themselves. And if you teach them to understand their decision making and their personality and the psychology behind what they're doing, then hopefully they'll make less mistakes make more optimal decisions and also enjoy the game more because they'll start to become even better at it um so that's the general sort of mantra and concept behind the book yeah i think this all applies to fpl and you know like i think sometimes you don't really understand it maybe uh especially if you're someone who hasn't played for lots of years i think sometimes we do things without really understanding what what we are doing i mean i i always used to rage transfer players uh, wherever I, I just got you know really frustrated about them blanking and so, always got bit back in the ass because of it. And I was I was really not noticing any pattern, you know. But I think when you're being informed about this, you really start to notice your behavior. And I think uh, many people will start to rethink of their actions. Maybe you know, I think it will really help uh, all of us, you know, in, in the in next season. So, 
uh, how do you look to improve your mental appeal skills? I mean, of course, you know about psychology, but I mean, everyone makes mistakes and everyone, you know, has to improve on something. So how, how do you aim to, you know, this season to fix things up, you know, do something better than you did last year? Yeah, great question. And and just I'm not going to talk about too many, too many biases specifically, but there is the bias blind spot, which is the idea that we can't acknowledge biases in ourselves, but we readily acknowledge them in other people. So it's worth noting straight away that even as a, a psychology self-proclaimed psychology expert I do struggle to, to identify the biases in myself sometimes so it's not as easy as just saying I know everything therefore I'm going to be a perfect FPL manager so I think the key thing is that you try and acknowledge where you're making the mistakes when you can you make sure that you've got a good understanding of your general decision making and my key thing this season is to be as dynamic and adaptive as possible a, a lot of the biases discussed in the book and a lot of the biases we suffer from are where we get sort of locked in our ways so we've got plan continuation bias and anchoring bias and, and all of these ideas is that perhaps we have an idea early on and we get locked in our ways and we start rejecting new information as that starts coming up and perhaps we're too easily swayed by Twitter. So I think the key thing for me is just be dynamic, adaptive, continue to take in new information, but don't let that heavily sway, especially in relation to social media, and my overall decision making. And I think just having a, a better acknowledgement and taking your time with your decisions, like you say, no rage transfers, acknowledging all of the brilliant information out there and they're making some sort of holistic decision at the end of the week. That would be my main my main takeaway this season, just be adaptive and dynamic. Yeah, I think that sounds really, really uh, doable. And I think, I mean, everyone can focus on something, maybe not everything. You can't really, I don't think you can perfect everything, you know, in a single season. I think you make mistakes, you're always going to learn. Uh, which is really important. Aditya, you haven't spoken in a while, so tell us, what are you looking to improve this season regarding, you know, your mental health skills? Well, I think it's nearly eight minutes since I've not spoken. So, <laughs> I mean, it was like I was just listening to a podcast at this point, but uh, two things I want to mention. One thing is, uh, those who have not listened to the last podcast, which was released by Who Got The Edges, it's a must listen, so please go and do so. But first, complete listening to this one and then <laughs> go to the other one. Because there are a lot of interesting things which were discussed with regards to how we as people make decisions and how we basically go about it. And one thing which I would like to say and one, one thing which I've really understood well is being Ross specifically saying you need to be a very dynamic manager. Which is something last season we had to kind of jump in and face a lot of decisions and make a lot of decisions because I think there was a situation wherein we got a double game week which turned into a triple game week and all of a sudden... And people having used chips very early, people having it were kind of in a comfortable zone. So again, kind of adapting based on the situation thrown at us is something which we all need to work out. And and there's another thing which was being discussed was I think the type of manager you are basically risk or you are a risk of us or you're conservative. So it was very interesting for me to listen to that. And I think I fall into the category of being a more sort of a conservative manager who doesn't like to take risks. And when we had late riser on uh, in our podcast, which was, I think, the last episode of last season's one, and uh, we asked him the question. So he told us, like, initially, you just don't take a lot of risks. And towards the end towards the end of the season is when you start to go and start taking risks. That's what he termed as late riser, and he just explained it very well. And there was something which we asked him was about template structure and why people have the same set of players, people going with the same set of teams which look around the same and the basic answer he gave us was uh, because the community is so informed and they do a lot of research 
people kind of tend to have the same teams based on the results and it was very quite fascinating what mistakes i have made and all i think uh, pious is i think it's a quite a huge topic i, I would say because there's so much biases and can be categorized which ross very well knows about it as he said like planned continuation bias you have availability bias if i'm correct hindsight bias outcome bias and this this is such a lot and one of them is i think i would practically kind of give an example is having bruno fernandes because this season once the the game got launched the first guy i put in was fernandes because i am a united fan and just i was like just putting i'm just putting him straight i don't care what others say whether oh he just scores from penalty so he's gone up in price so he will score less and all those stuff i'm not bothered that is i think probably a bias from my side but nevertheless that is something which i'm quite confident with and there's there's a lot for us to learn and i think the longer you have been playing the game for is more and more you kind of get experienced and uh, trusting your gut feeling is something which ross speaks a lot about and i think it's I think he would be the right person to probably answer few questions based on that. Yeah, I think what you said is really accurate, you know. And uh, for me personally, I really want to, you know, I think outcome bias really sometimes gets to you. You know, you, you think you make uh, the right decision, you think something uh, should pay off, and then it doesn't. But you know, I think many factors are not within our reach. Maybe sometimes uh, there's the lack factor to involve, and I think. Uh, sometimes that, that decision making and that outcome leads to to many feelings, you know, that may lead to you thinking that you did something wrong. Maybe you you need you have the need to do something differently. Then, and I think that's where sometimes people get uh, derailed from their actual, you know, the their way of thinking and the way of playing the game. And I think that's sometimes what gets to me and what leads to me, you know, taking some less calculated risk which might not make sense at the time and then uh i just i'm too late to realize and i think this is something that i want to reduce and you know to maybe taking less hits and you know being patient with some of my players uh so yeah i think we we've covered a uh, lot of uh uh psychological stuff but i also have a question for you ross from twitter so april gaffer asks well, what was your favorite spot to write the book yeah, yeah, I saw this question. It was a great question, and unfortunately, I'm not like a particularly like romantic story storytelling sort of guy that writes like next to a tree or anything. I'm, I tend to just sit at my desk and, and write my book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, let's say I've got some traditional wax candles and stuff. Um, but no, I, I think one thing I would bring up here, not necessarily where, because unfortunately, I, I just write at my desk because that's just where I can focus. Uh, is the time of day so if you're if you're working on an article or something and and this is discussed in the book as well the, the time of day that we all perform optimally and the time of day that we we should make key decisions in fpl but i'm someone that performs very well in the evening and i always have and i always will always to revise in the evening but i tended to sit down and write my book at about 1 a.m so i'd sit down at about 1 a.m and then write till about 3 or 4 a.m and then go to sleep and I think that's very interesting. So if you're someone that's trying to write a book and you sit down in the morning and you're, you're really struggling to focus and you're, you're struggling to write and you've got sort of writer's block, maybe try and write in the afternoon, try and write in the evening, try and mix up the time of day in which you write because we've sort of got these social norms that it's acceptable to, to do work during the day and then after about 6 p.m. we can't do anything. And that's not necessarily the way our brains work. So, yeah, that would be my piece of advice is, is try and write at different times of the day. Yeah, I think uh, at night when you... When the day has, you know, it's it's all over and your thoughts are more 
concentrate on what you you want them to be. I think I think that's a better way to release you know everything that's on your mind. And I think that makes total sense. Uh, my 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 brain is uh, going crazy at night. I can't even sleep. You know, <laughs> I really have a hard time sleeping. And I think uh, you know writing a book would make really good use of the time instead of just you know looking at wool. You know, <laughs> so I think. We don't have any other questions, or maybe we do have, but I think it's for later. So, since you do, you guys are, you know, Man United fans, and I think uh, many hot topics are involve your team uh, nowadays. Would you like? Uh, I would like to discuss, you know, about the team, and I think a really important uh, uh, thing is now, right now, is the signing of Sancho and the possible signing of Varane from Real Madrid, which, in my eyes, I think that would add a lot to the dynamic of the team. So, you know, Ross, how do you, you know, how do you see the new transfers? How, how would you react to them if both, you know, I think uh, Varane is close. So how would you react to that if, you know, you know, both players are in the team? How do you think that changes your opinion on the assets of United? Yeah, good question. I think... I think it doesn't change too much about what we expect from the season. I think we're expecting to sort of challenge for the title to the end, but no, I don't think anyone even... I think if we sign someone like Declan Rice or Ndidi as well, then there's a chance we really challenge. But I think ideally for us, we're looking to, to push Liverpool or City, whoever's top all the way, and then maybe make a late push. But I don't think anyone's expecting us to run away with it. I think... It looks like Oli's going to deploy the 4-3-3 formation, which is a slight change on last year. We played the 4-2-3-1 for most of last year with the double pivot. It looks like we'll be dropping one of McTominay or Fred, especially for the easier games, and then running Bruno and Pogba as both as number eights. What that does is that pushes Pogba further forward from being in the pivot, and it also pushes Bruno Fernandes further back. So I'm not saying that Pogba will be a, same, a similar asset to Fernandes, because obviously Fernandes has penalties in some corners, but it will... Yeah, it will increase the appeal of Pogba and maybe decrease the appeal of Fernandez because it'll be pushed slightly further back. Um, we're expecting Sancho to be deployed on the right wing, even though Rashford is now going to have his surgery and that left wing's opened up. I would still be surprised if Sancho's put on the left just because we've spent all that money on him to, to play on the right wing. So there's the potential that we put Martial on the left wing early on, which, which could be interesting, or potentially maybe for a couple of game weeks we do put Sancho on the left and Greenwood on the right. Um, obviously, Varane will slot straight in next to Harry Maguire at right centre-back and Maguire will sit at left centre-back. And it looks like we're also signing Kieran Trippier as well. Um, I don't know whether... It, it's very unlikely we'll play five-back, so I think Aaron Wambasaka might still get the nod early on and it might be that Trippier comes in for some of the easier games as a more attacking outlet. Um, but overall, yeah, it looks interesting. 4-3-3, it looks like we're going to go even more attacking. We're going to drop one of our... One of McFred... For, for a more attacking player and hopefully that will result in quite a lot of goals so I'm definitely interested in going for at least two Man United players early on and I'll probably be going for the triple up with a couple of attackers That's a really interesting take though but I think what should be noted is that now that there's too many options in attack adding Lingard to this I think all I said he's, he's in the plans for United so he will fight for a place I think that makes uh, the, the front three too unpredictable for me I think uh, I think right now with Rashford out, maybe you you would say that you know Greenwood could get the nod, but I think it's still too risky to pick one of the front front three unless we have some early news or you know some preseason uh, information. But I just think I would personally avoid the front three for now. Uh, Fernandez is obviously uh, you know the pen merchant, but as we all know, 
<laughs> for me at least. And if he plays a you know a deeper role, I think that definitely does reduce the appeal uh, for him. Even though he might be you know really highly owned, uh, which obviously creates uh, FOMO, which is uh, a real factor here. And I think you know with Bruno Fernandez, I think I, I'm scarred personally. I really don't know what to do with him. You know, I I think I'm just sticking him in for the sake of you know being protected from any random penalty, you know, because United, I think, they've been getting uh, at least second, third highest penalties in all seasons, in the last season. So I think that's that's a really big factor to, you know, think about. So, Aditya, how do you think uh, this signage will impact uh, United? And how are you looking to approach Well, I think for me, Ross pretty much summed up everything perfectly. But again, as you said, uh, we don't know who exactly is going to play where because there could be rotations here, as you said. But for me, I think for the initial few games, we were definitely going to see Cavani play up top with Sancho on the left and maybe Greenwood on the right with uh, uh, Pogba, Bruno. And I don't know who's going to play as a third midfielder, whether it's going to be Fred or McTominay or whether they're going to get a CDM. So it's, we'll have to wait and see with regards to that. I'm not sure with regards to the CDM and uh, whether Trippier, whether that's going to happen or not. But I'm, I'm pretty sure Varan should be done maybe in the next two weeks or so. Although, let's let's see where things go on. But Sancho, I know the signings got a bit delayed with regards to his announcement. There's some paperwork which is left to be completed with respect to Dortmund and United. So, once that's done, I think they will announce it. So, for me, I think, yes, it's Fernandes. Definitely a must-own again. But pe- again, towards the end of last season, what we saw was people were kind of getting him for the sake of just the effective ownership and uh, not to basically say a red arrow, that's what people are kind of trying to play safe and that's what I think even you want to try and do Chris at this point. So, I think just get in Fernandes, we'll see where Pogba plays, uh, with if they get a CDM or not. But I think for me, I think Luke Shaw and Fernandes are the two people I think I'm definitely going to have in my team. I'm not sure whether if Shaw is going to play game week one, but if he does, he stays. If he doesn't play, maybe I'll just get in Van Bissaka because I think... Uh, Luke Shaw created the third most chances for United. No, it was the second most chances. So last season, Fernandez created 95 chances and Luke Shaw created like around 72. So, and he had a phenomenal Euros as we discussed in the last episode. And Oli Gunnar has always been a good advocate for Luke Shaw and he's always told him to make those forward runs and get in the box and kind of take his chances. So I think he's improved a lot and this season it could be a great one for him in terms of the performances he can put forward and also the returns he could potentially give to all FPL managers. But uh, I'm not sure what it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be De Gea who's going to start with Shaw, Maguire, uh, Paran if they sign him. And then Van Bissaka, I'm not sure about Trippier. Uh, based on what we saw last week, uh, Athletic and the other outlets were just basically saying it's going to be a 4-3-3. So it could be with, as we said, Sancho, Cavani and Greenwood on the right. And then it's going to be Fernandez and with I don't know if this is going to be CDM or not. But I watched the preseason game yesterday, which was against Derby. And uh, they played a 4-2-3-1. Yes, because the main players were not packed since they were in the Euros. And some players played well. Greenwood, I think, had a good half. Uh, but again, he was kind of drifting towards the right-hand side of the pitch. And mind you, United have a lot of players now. Because I think it was Facundo Pellistri who scored a goal yesterday. But he's going, on, he's going out on loan. So, there's going to be rotations, as you said. I don't know if Lingard is going to stay or not. So, if Lingard stays, he's a natural replacement for Bruno. And there's Rashford 
on one side you have Dan James on one side on the left you have Sancho on the right you could have Greenwood on the right you could have Ahmad Diallo there's even Shola Shoretire you have Anthony Langa there's a lot of options for Solskjaer even Hannibal Mechbri so there could be rotations if I start picking out names everybody's going to get scared but there will be rotations and last season where Man United lacked the most for me was the squad depth was not good enough and the key players had to play most of every games and that ended up with Maguire getting injured towards this last stretch of the season and there was kind of dip in performances with regards to Fernandes and all and we had Martial getting off injured, Rashford struggling with an injury for the last few seasons. So I think hopefully this season we should try and aim to play the best football we can. Title for this season is very early. Let's see where the progress takes us and let's move on where things go on. I'd just like to play devil's advocate here that Oli is a manager that doesn't really like to rotate even when he has the options. And I know he hasn't had many options in the past, but he he is someone that notably leaves people on the bench repeatedly for games in a row and plays he's very, he's the, the teams that he trusts. So I think, I think when we have the Champions League starting to come in and the domestic cuts, the FA Cup, I think we could see quite a lot of rotation, especially in that front three. However... I think a lot of people will be looking to play their wild card between sort of game week three and game week seven. And I think if you are someone that tends to play an early and aggressive wild card strategy, I think you could probably get away with taking a risk on a Cavani, a Martial, a Greenwood, a Sancho. You can always move them on in one move if they if they don't work out. But I do think that Cavani and Sancho in particular, I'd expect to start most of those first five, six, seven games. So, yeah, have a think about that. If you're someone that tends to deploy the wild card pretty late in like game week 13 to 16, then maybe a Man United player is not what you want to go for. But again, you do have free transfers. And whilst I wouldn't want to book in a free transfer, if the only risk you're taking is a Cavani, who can easily be downgraded to like a Calvert-Lewin, then obviously that, that's, that's fine to do, I think. Yeah, I think the, what you said right now is really important. I think Ole is a bit, you know, he wants to stick with some players and, you know, give them some, you know, uh, a streak of games so they... We have more. They get more rhythm, and they even perform right. So I think, I think uh, out of all the front three, I think Sancho would be the most nailed as a marquee signing. You know, uh, a young talent and prospect, and I think he's young, so he can take lots of games. He has the, the ability to play. So does Greenwood, which we I think we saw him last season. Even the triple game where he did start all the games, I think he was the only one starting all of the three games. So I think Grimwood does have the fitness levels to, you know, to start many games in a row, maybe even in Champions League or so. So I think uh, I think that makes Cavani a bit less appealing to me because I think he will be managed again because he's really important to the team. He he offers great movement, great ability, great, you know, killer instinct. I think what he does is really, really helping United and I think they can't afford to, you know, have him injured for a long time. So I think that's the case. But a question of mine is, under under what price would you consider Sancho uh, the asset to go for? I mean, if he was priced so close to other assets such as Son or, you know, maybe uh, Havertz, you know, I, th- I think as a newcomer to the league and as a young player, I think where would you put the line, you know, of maybe thinking again before getting him? Ross? Yep, so I've I've thought about this in advance just in case the Sancho deal was sort of if in case it's delayed any further and it's announced pretty soon. I just wanted to I've knocked up a few drafts. I think nine million and I'll I'll probably have him in my team. Um I don't think that's own club bias. I don't think it's because I'm a United fan. I just think around that nine million range, you've got the likes of Havertz and Mares that aren't one hundred percent nailed and also are quite streaky players. So Mares and Havertz could bang 
like back-to-back braces and that I wouldn't be surprised at all but equally the fixtures aren't great for either of them they could be rotated under Tuchel and and Pep so I think if he's around nine million I think I'd be pretty comfortable putting him in my team and I'd probably double up alongside Fernandez so I'd have Fernandez, Shaw and Sancho um I think 9.5 million is probably a stretch. It's one extra downgrade that I need to do somewhere and it makes my bench even weaker. And I think at 10 million, I can't, I can't possibly, yeah, reason having him over, over human son. When, yeah. yeah when, when son's got over 200 points before he's got sort of back to back to back sort of the double digit hauls and, and he's getting like 180 points sort of minimum. I, I can't see a reason why you wouldn't have son if you're going to go for a sort of 9.5, 10 million midfielder so i'm hoping he comes in at nine i think the clever price for fpl is 9.5 because i think at that price he's less than son more than mara is and i think you've got a decision on your hands there hey you just know the the tricky guys in the in the fpl towers are going to price him at that price just to cause a headache and i think that's both you know a bit bad but at the same time good because I, th- I think when there's more choices to make controversial decisions, I think that's sometimes where there's more variance. And I think I think that's something which I like. Although I think uh, nine million would be the, the the most realistic pricing as to what it should be. You know, because he, I think he's a new player. He's young, and he had he has proven himself, but not to the point where I think he would be priced so high. I think I don't think he's he's been more proven than Harvard Harvard's own Warner. That's my opinion, obviously. But they all of them did it really well in the, in the Bundesliga. But you know, we've seen how Harvard's and Werner had a tough time time adapting to the whole Premier League, and uh, you know, becoming to the toughest league in the world. I think that really proved that you know, these players might not be so trustworthy to start with. I did yeah, my, you, yeah. Sorry, yeah. My 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 worry is that um, De Bruyne came in at ten million when he returned back to the Prem. And Pepe came in at 9.5 million from a, a good season in Ligue 1. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's 9.5 or 10 because FPL Towers sort of get worried that we're going to bring this new player to the league and they're going to explode and we're going to have him underpriced. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him 9.5 or 10. Yeah, definitely. Aditya, uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, would you, would you draw the line at 9.5? Yeah, I think 9.5, 9.5 is perfect because I think Rashford is also priced 9.5. So I think it's going to be the same price. They might not price him at 9, nor they would do it at 10. But to take the piss at us, they might do it at 10. But I think 9.5 is the exact price range is where I would go. Because I think in 104 appearances or so, he's, he had 38 goals and 51 assists in the Bundesliga. So although as you rightly compared with Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, but although Sancho is an English player and he has the experience playing in the Premier League, basically in the, basically in the under-18 Premier League, so they might price him 9.5. I think 9.5 is, sounds good. Yeah, I think, I think you, you'd have the dilemma of getting him or not, and it depends on you know United's form, obviously, in the fixtures. And I think the, the, at some point United have a really, really long streak of amazing fixtures, and I think that's where you'd you know possibly have the triple up and, you know, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd willing to risk, you know, picking one of the front three and, you know, facing the upside, of course. So I think uh, we could, you know, I think I think another topic on United, if we, I must say, in my opinion, is that the CDM issue could be real uh, if if they don't manage to sign anyone. Uh, I think as long as CDM, uh, North Fed or McTominay can actually, you know, 
do the proper work that needs to be done. In my opinion, I don't think they're at the level that they need to be right now for United. So, uh, would you trust the defense less if you know the signing of Rice or maybe Ndidi is not complete? I mean, personally, I wouldn't uh, as much. Of course, Shaw could offer much more, but I think uh, alone CDM could be trouble for United, especially at you know big games or you know with sides like Leeds or so. They could you know really cause trouble to United. Would you would you be less confident show us? Um, I actually think I I hope sort of hope we don't sign a CDM and I hope McTominay's given given a season because I think he's incredibly underrated and I've seen the sort of job that he can do for Scotland when he's told don't go forward and I think a lot of the reasons that he perhaps looks vulnerable and looks like he can't defend. And he can't sit in and, and dictate the players because I don't think Ollie asks that from him. In that 4-2-3-1, I think he asks Fred McTominay to take turns in, in bombing forward because you can see both of them, which isn't that normal in, in a double pivot. You can see that it's normally left with just one of them and the other one bombs forward. So I actually think McTominay could surprise everyone and potentially be one of our players of the season if he's given the role of literally just sitting and protecting that defence and he's told, don't get forward because Pogba and Bruno are going to do that. So... I, I would be very, very comfortable with having McTominay as our CDM f- for the entire season. My only worry would be, I think Fred would do a terrible job in there. And I think Matic is just far too old to do a long stint in there. So if McTominay was to become injured, I think we'd have to completely change the formation or we'd be starting to look really, really vulnerable in there. The the one thing I would say is a, a few fans are calling for Tuanzebi to, to have a have a go at that CDM spot because... He, he's a little bit too good to just sort of be like a fifth choice centre back. So there's a, f- a few of us sort of asking, do we try to Anzabi in there because he's brilliant with the ball at his feet and he's also very, very defensively astute. So I think we have enough options in there. I wouldn't be too worried. And especially with someone like Luke Shaw, I think they've got so much, even Harry Maguire from set pieces. I think they've got a lot of attacking potential. They love a good bonus point. So I wouldn't be too, I probably wouldn't go on the double up, but I wouldn't be too put off United's defence. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. McTominay's a really, you know, he's a really strong player. He He could do a good job if he, you know, the, the tactical, uh, you know, setup from Solskjaer is, is what it should be. Uh, I think Aditya should have the same opinion because, you know, uh, McTominay, I think he's one of the players that you guys love as United fans, right Aditya? Yes, yes, McFred, McSauce, whatever you want to call the pair. But, uh, but, but I think as far as what I saw yesterday, Matic played really well, although it was a pre-season game. But Matic is a sort of a play, if you don't play him for a lot and you play him for one game, he does the job. But if you consider Manchester City's Fernandino, who is older than Matic and is able to display much better performances than Matic, I'm kind of shocked. But I hope Matic plays well. But uh, there's a chance that he could play Matic if he doesn't get a CDM for the initial few games. Or until they get one, Matic could be sort of a sub for that slot. And then maybe whoever you get in could replace him. But uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen. With regards to McTominay, I think McTominay is more sort of a box-to-box player. But he can do some defensive roles. He did play well in the Euros for Scotland. And uh, sometimes he does make errors. And he did so in one of the games where he just missed clearing the ball. The ball fell in the own half and there was some chaos there. But playing 2-1-ZB as a CDM, I'm not sure, I'm not hurt. It's like you're putting uh, a centre-back in a CDM if you're playing ultimate team for 7KM or something. That's what, that's what I've heard. Like, But uh, I'm not Sorry, sure. But... Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> for the pace, right? 
yeah, I mean, but uh, let's see what happens. Uh, McTominay and Fred, I think just one of them can play. Probably McTominay is more suited for that role. But let's see what happens if they do get a CDM. I think they will definitely go for one, but it's going to be late towards the start of the season. There, it's where they'll go for maybe another two, three weeks time. Yeah, so I think we've pretty much covered everything. United about United. I think we we didn't really leave anything uh, undiscussed. So I think we should move on to well, my team, uh, Chelsea. I think uh, you know we have to really you know take seriously the champions of Europe, guys. So. Uh, first, uh, I, I think I want to discuss about our defense and the assets, which have been, you know, priced up this year due to the to- the trio, you know, he transformed the team to one of the best defenses in Europe. And I think that reflects a lot on the, you know, the prizes that they've been given. I think Turwell, Aspic uh, Retta should be 6 million. And, you know, the rest are 5.5, Rudiger, James, and so on. Uh, even with the top fixtures at the beginning, I think... Uh, Chelsea did it real did a really good job keeping out you know the top six sides last season and the Tuchel I think that could continue on to this season and I'm looking at Chilwell you know a six million player who did really well as a wing back and I think he was uh, really really good for attacking returns and I think he will continue to be uh, and I think from game week seven onwards uh, Chelsea have some really nice fixtures to come with. Would you invest early, and you know you could bag on some attacking returns, but would you invest early that rather than you know uh, waiting for the good fixtures, Ross? Uh, I think it really depends on what you're after from your defenders, and if you want to take that risk, because I suppose I wouldn't really go for James or or Rudiger at that price, because five point five million you can get Inye. Uh, Cresswell, Shaw, at 5 million you can get Soufal Dunk, who I think will probably all outscore Chilwell in that early period. I suppose if you're expecting Chelsea to finish, to start the season as strong as they finished and, and keep clean sheets against everyone, then absolutely. But uh, not many teams have managed to, to, for elongated periods, keep that like 80-90% 80, of their games clean sheets. So I would be surprised if Chelsea continue with quite that level of success. But equally, it's not a bad decision. I, th- I think I would personally rather go for some of the attacking fullbacks in strong teams with good fixtures, which is the likes of Shaw, Cresswell, Inya. They're, they're, they're all very, very attacking fullbacks. They're playing in teams that can defend very well, but also have the fixtures. I'd put, I'll probably potentially look at a Chelsea defender from, from like you said, from game week 7-8 onwards, when I probably will play my wild card, unless my team looks in great shape. But that international break looks like a good point to deploy the wild card, and that's probably when I'll have a little shake-up and, and get the likes of Diaz, Cresswell, um, Diaz uh, Chilwell, maybe even a double-up with Rudiger. Yeah, I think it may also depend on when you're where you're planning to wildcard, you know, from an early look, I think if someone is planning to wildcard, you know, at that point where you said, I think it would be wiser to, you know, maybe wait and see how Chelsea uh, are defensively and, you know, to uh, jump on those really good fixtures. But I think, uh, you know, you might call this uh, team bias, but I think I really feel the need that this year I should back my team based on last year. And I think uh, Chelsea, in my opinion, will personally uh, challenge for the title. I think if I think I'm waiting to see if we do sign some, you know, really uh, world-class players. But if even if we don't, I think we have the depth right now to challenge. And you know, uh, I think our defense is pretty much set. I think I wouldn't really mind, you know, having uh, a player who's, in my opinion, fixture-proof, and I could, you know, get points of 
attacking returns, etc. So I think uh, I'm really considering getting Chilwell from the off, and I think he could have a great season. Aditya, would you take that risk uh, to start with a player from Chelsea? I think for the initial few weeks, no, I'm just going to sit and see how they play. Oh, although last season, they were quite well defensively, especially Rudiger was great, who was priced, I think, 4.5 and most of us managed to pick him up. But I think this time he's priced 5.5, although Chilwell is 6, I think, if I'm correct. Yes, Chilwell is 6, Aspilicota is 6. So, uh, I don't know where Reese James is going to probably play, if he's going to play as a third centre-back or he's going to play as a right wing-back in the back five or is he going to get rotated. Because even Thiago Silva, I think, is back now. So, we'll see how things go on with Chelsea. But I think I'll wait for the initial few weeks and then maybe decide if I need to get in someone uh, like Chilwell or Rudiger. But Chris, I have a question for you. Can you tell me the three players who created the most chances for Chelsea? I'm sort of quiz, right? Uh, it's not a quiz. You are expected to know this since you watch the games. Oh, come on. Yeah, I do watch the games. But um, I reckon... It could be Ziyech, who didn't really start many games, but I think he he had lots of creating a, a really creating role, and I think he had many set pieces and stuff. So I reckon he should be one of them. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I want to say you know Reese James. He he really puts up those crosses up there, so I think he could also be considered as one of the players. Uh, I mean, it could also be Chilwell, you know, from that point of view. But I think these two have the chance of being there. And I would personally say that um, actually Timo Werner could be would be my, uh, a pick of mine because he makes the rounds. He actually had a more creative role sometimes than actually, you know, being the main striker. So I think he could be there. Uh, <laughs> am I completely off? You're not completely off, but I'm very surprised that you forgot Mason Mount. Oh God! Oh yeah. How can uh, how can a Chelsea fan forget Mason Mount? I think this needs to be taken to uh, some court or somewhere. But nevertheless, the three players who created the most chances for Chelsea were Mason Mount, Reese James, and Timo Werner. So it was yeah. it's two two correct out of three. So that's fine. So anyways, as I, I said, I'll be staying away for, from Chelsea for the initial few weeks, and maybe after the international break, it's time for us to decide and see where things go on, and maybe get make those changes. And like I said about Mount, I think I think it's really interesting his price point this season. It's seven point five, and I think you're expecting to start every game because you know I think uh, at this point every manager loves Mount uh, Southgate. Uh, Lampard love him, and I think they really trust him at this point. I think he did turn up in the big moments season Champions League, and I think he he proved that he's there to you know to make a po- to prove a point. And yeah, you know, I think he he should be one of the you know stars of the season. Again, so would you? Uh, I mean, if he plays in, in you know a number eight role, would you consider him as an FPL asset, maybe ahead of someone like Ziyech or something, or maybe Harrods too? You know, because you know if you take the fact that he's more nailed, would you take the risk? Uh, not the risk. You know, would you look at him as a really possible asset to your team, Ross? I think if you're someone that really wants to make very minimal transfers and you want to have a team that you know, even if you had no free transfers, you could rely on for 10 to 12 game weeks, then I think Mason, like if you're a really conservative manager, I think Mason Mount is is definitely a decent option. My big issue is I don't see him as a big goal threat, um, which immediately reduces him in the BPS. It means that he's unlikely to get those sort of double-digit hauls unless he's getting two or three assists. And I just don't see him as that sort of explosive player. So like I said, if if you're looking for someone to get 
sort of five to six points per game and, and tick along nicely over the season, he's great. If you're looking to jump on, which I normally do, that's normally the, the, the place that I take the risks is someone like a, a mid-price midfielder. So I'd much rather be on someone like Harvey Barnes, who, who's a big differential and a big risk, or even Jota. I think Jota at 7.5, I'd much rather. He's just such a big goal threat. He could score a hat-trick within like 15 minutes. And I just don't see that with Mason Mount. So he's, he's personally a no-go for me unless he changes his role and he looks like, a massive goal threat or he's suddenly on penalties if Jorginho gets injured or, or something crazy like that but no no, not for me unfortunately I'm not a big fan from an FPL perspective at least you mentioned Jota you know some uh, whatever he I don't know how you call the name how you prefer the name I'm sorry about that uh, many people have really blacklisted him because last season towards the end he was uh, he was a really nightmare, nightmare to own he missed tons of chances and I think uh, it's another thing, you know, psychological thing that people might, you know, be, be scarred from a player or, so, or two. And I think you might hesitate to bring them in in fear of, you know, experiencing the, the same, uh, you know, pain, if you want to call it like that, that the last season. I think that's a really good step to being adaptive. Bro. So <laughs> congratulations on that. Uh, I'm actually someone who thinks Jota is a really, really good player. But uh, aside from that, Aditya, how would you... Uh, perceive Mason Mount as a pick this season. You know, Ross was spot on saying that a conservative manager will have him, but guess what? I have Mason Mount in my draft. So, <laughs> that kind of pretty much answers that question. And I kind of I kind of fancy him having Mason Mount. So, although this is this was an initial draft which I made when the game got lodged, I just put in the place who I wanted to. But as in when we get closer to the season, we'll be able to find out who's nailed and who's going to play where. But I think Mount is definitely a good pick, price at 7.5. There are a lot of good options under 7.5 this time. We've got, as Ross said, Javi Barnes, Diego Jota, there's Rafinha, there's Harrison. There's tons of players. I think even this Bundia, who is a bit cheaper. Then at 8, if you want to spend more, you can go for Grealish. So there's a lot of options. It just basically depends on your squad structure and who you want to basically get in and fill in those gaps. But for me, at this point, it's on Mount. But never know towards the start of the season as we get closer to game week one that mount could indeed turn to jota or someone else if i want to kind of shaken up my team more yeah i think i from f- first point of view i think i also fancied him a lot because uh i know he's gonna be the one to turn up in big games or at least i hope so guys uh, i'm trying to be optimistic here for chelsea but i just think that he could be the guy who you can rely on uh this season maybe he could you know be more consistent than other players who might be more explosive. But I, I, like Rod said, I think I'm also the guy who, who likes to have the players that could go mental uh, in the good fixtures. And I think, you know, like Harvey Barnes, I think I he's the type of player that I love owning, maybe for like a shorter period of time. But I think, you know, it's it takes some really great skill to, you know, jump on and off of, of his really, really uh, explosive assets who could, you know, uh, turn up for two, three games, but then, you know, they could really, really be uh, bad for a period of time. So I think uh, that's a really fair point. Uh, so we haven't yet signed someone as a striker, but I mean, hypothetically, we could sign Holland, which I don't know if it's happening, but we could. But if we don't, I think uh, it's a really, really big dilemma of, you know, who starts up front and who could uh, be the main option there. But I think Ziyech did score a hat-trick in the last uh, friendly. 
Uh, I think he he hasn't been given as much playing time as he could have been. And I think when he came from Ajax, Ajax, I think he he was expected to be you know one of the most vital parts of the team. And I think he's been overlooked uh, from time to time. And I think even though he you could say he's been the assister, uh, the assist to the assist, if you want to call it like that. I mean, I mean, would you again? I think he's 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 at seven point five. Would you like again prefer someone like him? And do you think he could be, you know, explosive, uh, you know, with statistics and stuff? If he gets starts, would you again? Would you pick Harrods and Werner maybe over him? I mean, what's what are your thoughts of that, guys? Ross? Yeah, I, I think I'm trying to not pick unproven players that have come in from different leagues or promoted players, and I think someone that didn't do it consistently last season is in that same sort of vein. Yes, they've been in the Premier League for a season, but if they haven't performed consistently, I don't think I'd want to take that risk from the start, but definitely someone to look at. I think if I were to be going for a Chelsea attacker, the only one that I've had in any of my drafts is Havertz. Um, Equally, I'm still not sure that him at 8.5 is better than the likes of Grealish at 8, or even someone like Buendia or Rafinha at 6.5. I think I'd probably rather save that 2 million, but I think that's to do with the fixtures as much as anything. I know you've said from a defensive point of view, you think Chelsea can still keep a few clean sheets against like Liverpool, Spurs, City, but I'm not sure that Havertz, Mount are going to be scoring a ton of goals early on. So I don't think there's much chance of me having a Chelsea attacker, but if I were to, it would probably be Havertz. Yeah, I think I think I can really agree with that. I think if he somehow plays as a an out of position player at a striker role, maybe a full time, maybe some somewhat centrally, I think then he, he becomes uh not not best players but the best prospects as to the upside of uh, of how how good he could be. And I think uh after Tuchel joined Chelsea, uh, he became the manager. I think Harvard's had one of the highest, if not the highest, XG per game. Uh in and I think he's that he did start uh a considerable no, not many games. So I think that's something to really take note of. And I think if he plays as a central role, he could be, uh, he could be a captain material. You know, from game week seven and onwards. I think Aditya should agree with us too. I think Havertz is a fan favorite right now. Yeah, I mean towards <laughs> towards the end of last season, he did look good. He scored a goal in the Champions League final, and also he looked good in the Euros. So again, based on form, when his confidence is should be high. At the moment, and both him and Timo Werner had a tough time coming from Bundesliga. Settling here was kind of different, new country, new language, and they kind of are in a much better position now. With even Tuchel as the manager, a German boss, so communication and all the other things must have improved a bit. But again, as I said, I will wait and watch for the initial few weeks until at least the first international break, and then decide if I need to get in someone. But as Ross said, and as what we have seen even in the community and in the most of the drafts, people are more inclined towards getting in someone like Rafinha, Harrison, as we said, Barnes, Jota. There's a lot of 20, 6.5, 7 million prize players. So let's see where things go on. But as I said, team structure is what matters. So it depends on what formation you want to go and, and who you need to get in to fill those spots is who you need to go for at the end of the day. Yeah, I think I think I can really like uh, agree with you there. But another, another thing that I would like to discuss, like, you know, with the midfield spots, I think uh, you can you have too many options in that maybe eight point five to six and six point five bracket. I think if you do take a punt on a midfielder of that 
sort of price, it's much easier to downgrade him than maybe taking a punt on a on a six point five or six million forward. I think I think price points. I haven't really paid much attention in you know, last years, but I think it's important to be flexible and to be able to to shift from a pick to another one in in an easy way. You know, I think. Many people don't want to spend lots of free transfers to completely reverse move, you know, to make uh, really big changes to the team if if nothing is really going, you know, uh, right for them. I think uh, it's really important to to take punts where you can actually, you know, have a way out. So I don't think that's something that many people, you know, think beforehand. But do you think that some this is something you'd like to implement in your playstyle uh, this season, guys, Ross? Yeah, so it's a great point to bring up, and I think flexibility. We've we talked about being flexible, dynamic, adaptive from a psychological perspective, but also from a structural perspective in your team. And I'd like to think that I can get to most popular players within one or two moves, preferably one. And I think if you include the likes of Havertz, Mares, Sancho, it means that you can afford a lot of those mid-priced midfielders at the moment. So my current draft, I'm in a four-three-three, and I don't have. My, my most expensive midfielder outside of Fernandes and Salah is actually Buendia. And the main reason that I don't like this current draft is that if Grealish, Havertz and Mahrez all start exploding early on and Sancho, then I'm going to be left with finding it extremely, extremely difficult to get to that mid-priced midfielder. It'd, it'd be I'd have to drop Fernandes. But then obviously if Fernandes and Salah are doing well, I'm not going to want to do that. So I'm left in quite a difficult position there. So I think definitely have a look at price points, have a look at flexibility. And if you do want to go for a mid-price midfielder. Havertz and Grealish, if he stays at Villa, are probably two of your best shouts. So, yeah, I think in, in that case, Havertz most definitely could be a good option. Yeah, I think it's really important to to have a, a way a way of predicting, you know, some of the moves of what you would like to make. And I think that could be uh, an incentive for people to, to get at least four midfielders in your team because I think the options there vary a lot and you, can, you have many uh, explosive and upside players who could may very well be be your options to target, you know. And I think being flexible in those positions is, is really important. As well as in the forward spots, where I think we have tons of 7.5 players, a million uh, forwards. And I think uh, if you're opting to go with three forwards, I think it's the best choice to keep them all in a similar price tag so you, you don't get priced out when time comes if you would like to transfer one. You know, Antonio, uh, Wilson, Cabot Lewin, even, you know, really good options in that price tag. And I think it's quite important to to try and, you know, structure a team in a way that you can get to such players in an easy way. Aditya, are you looking to implement this uh, in your draft and, you know, plan a bit for this situation? Yes, this, this, this definitely makes a lot of sense here about team structure and all. So at the moment... I have uh, in midfield, I have, as I said, I have Mount, Rafinha, Mo Salah, Fernandes, and I have, I think, Ismail Asar. So, again, there could be, maybe as we, as I said, as we go closer to the start is when I'll start to tinker a lot because that's the time we start to get more information. Most of the first team players, you know, they, they'll join back and we'll have much more information regarding how they're going to basically line up and play in the last leg of the preseason games and all. But having, as you said, having the expensive options, like around 88.5 and then having the ability to downgrade to the mid-price cheaper ones if the other one's firing is obviously a smart choice. So again, we did get a question uh, about the team structure. So I'll just add in, add in here, like 
what are the best formations and is it better to go big at the back with Trent or Robbo or up front with 3 7.5 billion forwards now in my case I kind of always tend to stick with playing a 3-5-2 but I think with the amount of forward options we have at 7.5 this season is having 3 even 7.5 could work maybe I've seen many people go with Ivan Tone I think who's priced 6.5 and then having one of Bamford and Watkins or Bamford or Calvert-Lewin is something which I've seen a lot or maybe having a better midfield much more organized like an 8 million midfielder like a Grealish, Rafina, Salah, Fernandes and someone like a Smith Rowe or maybe get someone like a Saka if you want to compensate things here and there and maybe go with an expensive defense. So again, it's up to you. But uh, I think just having one of Trent or Robertson is fine for me. But I don't know about you guys because based on what drafts I've seen, I think uh, Ross has uh, Trent and Robertson both. And I think Chris has Robertson, Shaw and Lamptey. So maybe going big at the back, it could work. But those players basically need to return. We know Trent and Robertson are great offensive players and we basically don't need to rely on their clean sheet abilities but be being basically relied on the amount of offensive outputs they can give. So again, it's for you to find the best spot where you can get everything what you feel and you need to be satisfied at the end of the day because you're the manager and it's your team. On this, Ross, on this question? Yeah, I think I think you've pretty pretty much covered that perfectly. I think it's completely up to you, and I don't think there's one optimal formation. But I would, I know it's very early, but I have I've only had one draft without three forwards, and it was when I had Kane in there with Bruno and Salah, and I didn't like it at all. So I think if you're someone that wants to include Kane in that front three, I'd potentially drop Bruno Fernandez and still try and get to seven point five or six. Sort of 6.5 to 8 million pound forwards alongside it there are just far far too many I mean the one person I haven't even seen discussed in the Twitter community is Patrick Bamford who scored like 194 points last season and I mean we've got Wilson and Calvert-Lewin Tony Antonio Watkins we've got Cavani we've got so many good options at that price range I think it would be such a shame to only have two playing forwards so at the moment like like Aditya said I've got Trent and Robertson I just think that double up for those first six, seven, eight fixtures just looks far too good to, to not have. Um, and I'm playing a 4-3-3. But I, I definitely think the 3-4-3 or the 4-3-3 or 5-2-3, anything where you can get those three mid-price forwards, I think is probably optimal at the moment. I definitely agree with you guys. I think three forwards, I think I've always liked to to have the forwards when there's value in them. I think this season there's so much value in forwards. I think more than, well, at least... As I can remember from my last three, four seasons, I, th- I think the value is really good. And I think, you know, you mentioned Bamford, who I really haven't seen anyone talking about. And it's uh, it's really a weird thing because he really did uh, did really well last season. And he he's the main penalty taker, I think, too. So I think, uh, I think his appeal is still strong. And, you know, a really good thing is that you can easily downgrade Bamford to a 7.5 million player uh, forward. Which is, uh, you know, I think it's a really positive point if, if the argument where should someone consider Bamford. And I think even though the fixtures might seem, you know, a bit uh, difficult, I think we have to remember that Leeds uh, tend to score against, well, almost everyone. Which is uh, something that could, you know, I think, I, think I, I could be swayed towards Bamford. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, you can always, you know, choose one of the many uh, 7.5 forwards. And, you know, historically, I think for me, uh, three, three at the back has worked uh, really well for me. I always 
Uh, I usually play with 3-5-2 or 3-4-3, and I think uh usually gives you the most explosiveness in your team. I mean, I think unless uh, many defenders start to to seem like great value, I think you can't really go big at the back from the off. But, you know, it's always, again, it's everyone's uh, preference, and I think doubling up on Robertson and Arnold is, I think it's really a good tactic to go with, especially for someone who could wildcard, you know, when Liverpool's, you know, excellent run uh, is over. So I think for Ross, who said he might wildcard early, I think that is uh, his optimum plan. I think that's where you should try to, to you know, to, to focus on your plan. And, you know, no matter what else, what everyone else is doing, I think your plan is what you should play alongside. And, you know, I think that's the key this, to, you know, the high rank, a better performance in FPL. And personally, um, I'm really trying to, to think about uh, whether I'm doubling up. And I think uh, it makes more sense than not to. And I think, I think maybe you can remember, guys, how much value they offered uh, two seasons ago. They were both uh, immense. And I think with Van Dijk back, Kanate, the signing of uh, Liverpool again, I think they have uh, the main players back again. I think Fabinho in the midfield will be a massive difference in allowing, you know, Trent and Robo to to go, to be more free and, you know, get those attacking returns, which could result to great holes. And I think... Uh, I think I'm really actually uh, going to be doing that in the end before the deadline. So, yeah, I can see Ross's uh, point of view. And I think I think uh, everyone should just follow their instinct. You know, I personally like to pick some high-end players who, well, I think it's obvious that Salah and Fernandez are good picks. But I think you might want to, you know, just take yourself a bit from any chance of, you know, a big hole from the off. And then maybe... As season goes on, you want to try and differentiate if you see an opportunity, you know. I think that's the best time to do it. I think effective ownership should be uh, coming into play sometimes a bit, you know. I think, what, what do you think, guys, Ross? Do you think it's FOMO? Or, you know, maybe with the EO, I mean, what do you think uh, from the off? Would you try to pick a more template team, uh, I mean, for the most of the part? Or would you, you know, just go with your gut and, you know, your own picks? Yes, it's a really difficult one. Game week one to sort of five or six is really difficult because you can't establish trends in data early on because it's just not enough, big enough sample size. Equally, it's very difficult to make opinions and and try and form trends based on last season because, I mean, there's been a big gap in between. There's been the Euros, there's new signings, there's new formations. So, yes, someone performed well last season, but it's very difficult to try and assert that for this season. So I would I would mainly be going with who you just have a general feeling that you think will perform well. I'd have a very specific look at price structure as well. Um, so looking at those price points, making sure you can get to most people, and also have a have a really strong eye on on fixtures because that is the only thing that we can definitely tell for certain. Whilst we don't know if some of those lower teams might perform really well, you can get a general vibe of the, of the the fixtures they've got coming up and who might do really well, which is why I've got the the Liverpool triple up and the Man United double up because those fixtures look pretty good. Um, I think if you're really, really struggling to choose between two players, then I think going for the more highly owned player is not a terrible choice. But equally, if you go for the low owned player and they do well, then you've actually got a big bump. So I personally don't look at ownership too much. Uh, Potentially, it might be because of the research that I've done into fear of missing out and the the knowledge I have of that. But I just tend to, to make the decisions that I think the players that I think will score the most points 
And at the end of the day, if a player scores loads of points and they've got no ownership or 60%, it doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's who scores the most points. So I don't have that many highly owned players, um, apart from maybe Tony and Lamptey. They're the only two, and sure, they're sort of like the template players, but I've just gone for the players that I think will score the most points. And if they've got high ownership, they've got high ownership. No, I think that's a really good way to go with it. I think the only players that I'm considering, you know, uh, maybe essentials, which is uh, Forbidden Ward in the community, but I think Sal and Bruno are the only players which I personally, oh, maybe fear not having but I, I i still think that they will do well so i'm not i'm not really picking them for you know their ownership i'm just you know i want to have them in my team because i know what they can do and how good they can perform my field wise so i think that's where i'm i'm trying to i mean balance find a balance between you know ownership and you know who i really want to pick but i think uh besides those two i don't really have anyone who i'm afraid of you know I have FOMO or anyone else. So, Aditya, do you have anyone else who you might be afraid going up without? I mean, based based on what Spurs played last season, Hyun Min Son is someone who I don't have at this point. Although Spurs fixtures are not too bad, I would say, for the initial fixtures. Although they play City, but then they play Wolves, Watford at Palace and all. So, I think Son is what he's on around 14%, although that's not a lot. But uh, if he starts scoring, the percentage will just, will just go up in a few weeks. But most of our squads are generally definitely going to have Salah, Fernandez, Shaw, Trent and maybe Robert Sanchez, Rafinha. It's going to have the same set of 4-5 players and then whatever is left, the funds, how you spread it and how you build your team, is that's up to you. But uh, if you look at the most owned players so far at the moment, Amy Martin is around like 40% for goalkeepers. Shaw is like around 46%. Salah is like around 50 Fernandez is like around 42 Ivan Tony is around 35%. Watkins is around 33 So a lot of these players here and there I don't have. And there's someone like even Bukayo Saka is around like 15% owned. Grealish is around like 38 So we'll have to see where things go on. But no, I'm not worried. And as like Ross said, it just basically... The numbers of last season don't matter a lot because there's a lot of gap and we need a lot of time in the new season, basically at least four or five game weeks for us to basically sit and analyze and look at the trends and see how each team is playing and how each player as an individual is managing to live up to our expectation is delivering the points based on the price that FPL have assigned to him. So we'll have to wait and see for like initial four or five game weeks. The first international break, the second international break, I think offers you like around two slots to wildcard perfectly maybe the second international break kind of makes sense but there's some people who wildcard in like game week four and last season it was great for people who wildcard in game week two i think they got in everton assets and the things were looking good for them at that point so i'm not basically worried for the initial few weeks but if you miss and you miss getting the players at the start who are looking in good form and who are getting the points regularly i think catching up kind of tends to get difficult towards the mid of the season and towards the end. Yeah, I, th- I think that happened last season with those who didn't get uh, Kane and Son from well, the, you know, the, the first 10 games. I think you, if you didn't own both of them, or at least one of them, you had to, I mean, so, some, somehow you had a really big gap from all those people who had both of them. I think you should try to, you know, find the early players who have managed to, to explode from the off. And I think, I think going with the trend uh, and the flow, I think, in the the starting games, I think that's a good way to go approach it. Of course, not, not, not with ownership. I think they just kept scoring and holding. I think 
you should not be stubborn sometimes, you know, especially from the off. I think you should, you know, try to just not overthink the decisions, you know, go with the players who are, who are doing well. Uh, I think that's my, my one piece of advice that I'm, I could think of giving anyone. And I think uh, we've covered a lot of things, and I think we've uh, really explored both United and Chelsea and, you know, some other things such as price structure and team structure. So, Ross, uh, what would be one piece of advice that you would give anybody going into game week one? Yep, um, try and make decisions you think will be optimal and don't worry if your team is either one really similar to everyone else or number two really different to everyone else don't make too many comparisons between what you have and what other people have and within that just just make sure that your team is set up to allow you to, to jump on and off different players with relative ease which is things like having the most expensive defender in the game with Trent having three forwards considering that there are a lot of good price forwards around that. So be flexible, be dynamic, and don't make too many comparisons between what you've got and what other people have got. Because at this stage, no one knows who's going to perform. We're not psychics. No one knows if Salah and Fernandes might blank for the first three game weeks. So there's no one that knows what's going to happen. So by comparing yourself to some of these elite managers, it doesn't necessarily mean if your team is really different that your team is wrong. It might be that you're num- ranked number one in the world after three game weeks if your team is really different. So, um, yeah. Don't make too many social comparisons and be dynamic and flexible. Yeah, I, th- I think mine be along those lines. And the main, I mean, in short words, I think my advice would be just don't overthink it. Pick the players you like. Pick the players who, who you see have good fiction. I think it's really important to you know start the season without you know going too much about it and without you know uh, without just becoming a headache to yourself. Because I think some people just try to to be too different from the offer, maybe to be too templated, I think you should find the balance and, you know, just pick players who you like. And, you know, I mean, Captain Salah against Norwich, it's a, it's a proven player and against, uh, you know, promoted team. I mean, if it goes wrong, it, it just happens. And I think, you know, it's sometimes those simple decisions which people try to overthink and then, you know, it just turns to be a terrible decision. I think we've covered uh, lots of uh, topics and I think this was a really great podcast. Thank you. Ross for being here with us and uh, I really wish you the best for your new book and I, I'm looking forward to getting it too. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you inviting me back on and uh, best of luck really with the season. We can have you again uh, sometime this season. Uh, maybe when we're all going crazy about who we captain and maybe when a 5.5 striker goes nuts again. <laughs> who knows? I'm really looking forward to this season and uh, I wish you the best. And we're really going to interact on Twitter, you know, stay in touch. Thank you everyone for listening and hope you have a good week.